Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants our souls for you, O God. Oh, how we thirst to drink deep from the rich well of your holy word, which teaches us the wonders of who you are and reveals to us the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Pour out upon us your Holy Spirit that we might grasp the truths of your gospel, the glorious promises that you have made and all that you have given to us in the riches of your word. Even as we see this morning an angry and rebellious prophet convict us of our sin, show us our need for Christ the Savior, and counsel and comfort us with the magnitude of your grace and mercy as it comes to us through Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. If you would please open your Bibles to our sermon text, as we'll conclude this morning our study through the book of Jonah. We'll be looking at chapter 4, page 775 in the Pew Bibles, but just a bit of context, we'll need to begin reading with the last verse of chapter 3, verse 10. So if you'll recall last week, we saw Jonah finally obeyed the Lord. He went to Nineveh. He preached of God's coming judgment. They repented of their sin in sackcloth and ashes. And this morning, we'll see Jonah's response. So reading now Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, to the end of the book. Here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came out into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city 
in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, left, and also much cattle. One of the best-selling, popular self-help theology books from quite a few years ago now was titled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Perhaps you've heard the title. I hope not many of you have actually read it because there are many, many problems with this book. But the author, a Jewish rabbi whose son had a very rare terminal genetic disorder, he writes to those who are wrestling with disappointment, with anger, with bitterness towards God. And as you can imagine, this is a very common problem. Now, the rabbi's solution to the problem is not the right one. That's why I don't recommend this book. But here in the conclusion to Jonah, we see how Jonah is wrestling with the same issue. And we see how the Lord himself counsels Jonah. It hits Jonah from both sides. First, he is angry because God has had mercy on those whom he despises. And then as the Lord is working on him, we see Jonah rejoices because God has had mercy on him. And then he is angry again because God removes that mercy, removes that blessing, and now Jonah is suffering. Perhaps you, some of you, have wrestled with anger, with bitterness towards God. Perhaps because of good things he's done towards others. Perhaps because of good things he's taken away or simply withheld from your life. And you have suffered. So let's look this morning at this final chapter of Jonah and see how it teaches us about God's great mercy. And how the Lord counsels Jonah in his anger and in the same way speaks comfort to your heart when you struggle to accept what the Lord has done. Here we see the God of all mercy, the God on whose mercy we depend on every moment of our lives. So we'll look at our passage in four parts this morning. First, Jonah's anger at God's mercy to others. Second, Jonah's rejoicing at God's mercy to himself. Third, Jonah's anger at God's mercy removed. And fourth, the greatness of God's mercy. So first, Jonah's anger at God's mercy to others. And Jonah has just preached a message that has caused a mass revival, a great repentance. This is something that most preachers only dream about. He ought to be rejoicing. In fact, that's what you would expect. But then we turn the page from chapter 3 to chapter 4. And this last chapter, it's the surprise ending to the book, where we see that, in fact, Jonah's response is the exact opposite. Now there's a, an ironic contrast here. Nineveh's repentance causes God's fierce anger to go from 10 to 0. It causes God's fierce anger to abate. And yet this is the very thing that provokes Jonah to explode in anger against God. There's also an interesting play on words here in the Hebrew. It doesn't quite carry over in the English because the Hebrew word ra, it can be translated a few different ways in English. It's evil, disaster, displeasure. So when it says God saw how they turned from their evil way, from their ra, he relented from the ra, the disaster he said he would do. But this rod Jonah with great ra. This was to Jonah a great evil. And it provoked Jonah to anger. 
And even the ESV translation, he was exceedingly displeased. I don't think it quite captures it because the Hebrew in verse 1, it could not use possibly stronger language to describe how greatly Jonah is grieved by what the Lord has done, how he boils over in rage. But consider this response of anger. We know from the scriptures that man is created in the image of God. And so this anger response, it's created in us so that we might respond with great energy to injustice, to defend the defenseless, to right that which is wrong. It is to be a creaturely reflection of the righteous anger of God against sin. But as you know, that isn't how things usually go. Because we are fallen in our own sin, our anger is deeply corrupted. And more often than not, it does not line up with God's anger, with God's moral evaluation of things. In other words, often we are angry for the wrong reasons, at the wrong time, to the wrong degree. Our anger needs to be trained to line up with God's moral judgment. It needs to be trained according to God's word. And I don't know of an example of a greater discord between man's anger and God's anger than the example that we have right here. Where God's anger and Jonah's anger are in complete and perfect opposition. That's why the scripture so often warns us about anger. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the, man, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James 1, 19 and 20. It's not that it's impossible to be righteously angry, but it is rare for sinful man. In the same way we read in Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And there are many more Proverbs on this topic of anger. Anger against God is the most dangerous of all because you can be sure that God is never wrong. He has never sinned. And so there's never any just reason to be angry with God. But there is one small positive thing about what Jonah does here. Not a positive thing about Jonah's anger itself, but about how he deals with it. Instead of stewing in it, instead of letting it grow dark and bitter, instead of letting it drive him away from God, fleeing as he did before, this time he actually takes it to the Lord. He prays for the second time in this book. And while his prayer is not at all reverent, not at all pious, it's an angry prayer. That's how he's feeling. That's what he pours out his heart to the Lord. But even this... It's better than the alternative. It's better to go to the Lord than to run away from him. And so we read verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah here, he's defending his anger to the Lord. He's even doubling down on and defending his original rebellion and running away from the Lord. 
that for which he was disciplined. It looked like before perhaps he had repented. He did outwardly obey the Lord and go to Nineveh, but here we see his heart was unchanged. Now this is absolutely absurd. He is seeking to justify his sin. Now in this argument that he's submitting to, his, to the Lord in prayer, he quotes the Lord's classic declaration of his name, of his character, which he had pronounced to Moses when his glory passed before Moses in Exodus 34. This summary of the gracious and merciful character of the Lord, it's, it's something Jonah should have rejoiced in. And he had rejoiced in God's mercy back in chapter 2 when he was saved by that great fish from certain death. But now in his anger, he spits this back into God's face in disgust. I just knew you were like this. You would have mercy on those rotten Ninevites. How dare you? Now literally, the, the Hebrew word, it says... Was this not my word when I was in my country? And if you remember how earlier it said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying. So Jonah is contrasting, this is my word versus what the word of the Lord said. He's saying, I was right. I should have stuck with my word. I should have persisted in my disobedience to your word, O Lord. My word was right. Your word was wrong. And so we have this picture of an angry Jonah standing in judgment over God. And Jonah says, I can't live with this. This is how things are. Death is better than life. I think Jonah has reached a very dark place here. How will the Lord respond to such a horrific prayer? Now, there is a profound sense here in which Jonah, after his record of disobedience and now angrily rejecting God's grace, talking like this to God, he no longer deserves God's mercy. Of course, he never did in the first place. And so you might say it would be no surprise if God were to strike him dead on the spot for his insolence, for his folly, for his sin. But of course, the whole point of this passage, the whole point of this book of Jonah is that God is truly gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And so we hear God's patient and gracious response to Jonah. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Instead of critiquing or condemning Jonah, the Lord asked him this piercing question. Is it good for you to be angry, Jonah? Now, Jonah had placed God in the dock, but here the Lord cross-examines Jonah, and Jonah is unable to give a response. But you would think, you would hope that it causes him to slow down, to calm down, to think. Really, the question is one for you to ask yourself anytime you are angry for any reason, but especially if you are struggling with anger against God. Is it good for you to be angry? 
God's question to Jonah is just the beginning because now the Lord is going to work through his sovereign providence to, through his control over nature to help to bring Jonah to his senses. And that brings us to our second point. Jonah's rejoicing at God's mercy to himself. Jonah doesn't answer God's question, but rather in his anger, he storms out of the city. He goes to sit to watch clearly with the hope that the Lord would now change his mind. That perhaps he will still bring destruction on Nineveh. We read that he builds a basic structure, perhaps weaving together some vines and sticks. He's seeking to give himself some shelter, but clearly it doesn't provide much relief from the hot desert sun. And then we see God's mercy to Jonah. Jonah can't give himself much shade, but the Lord is merciful. He shows mercy that Jonah doesn't deserve. Verse 6, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Here we see this key word that we've seen before in this book. The Lord appointed a plant. The Lord works through the natural world in a supernatural way. Just as he had sent a storm after Jonah, just as he had appointed that great fish to come and to rescue Jonah, now he's using this ordinary plant. But he causes it to spring up unnaturally fast so that it blossoms and the leaves spread over Jonah. It provides this soothing shade which comforts Jonah. And that Hebrew word is repeated again here. The plant delivered Jonah from his ra, from his misery. From Jonah's perspective, that blazing sun was a misery, a great evil. But from the Lord's perspective, he is using this plant to deliver Jonah from his evil attitude. And notice Jonah's response. He is supremely happy about this plant. He is rejoicing. His exceeding joy here. It's the exact opposite of his previous exceeding anger at the Lord's mercy to others. Jonah is so glad to receive the blessing of the plant by God's goodness and mercy to him. He loves it when God shows mercy to him, and he hates it when God is mercy, shows mercy to his enemies, the Ninevites. But this mercy and Jonah's rejoicing in it does not last long. So third, we come to Jonah's anger at God's mercy removed. Verse 7, when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Here we see two more elements of nature that God has appointed. In his sovereign providence over all nature, he appoints the worm and the scorching east wind. God's merciful blessing of the shade plant is taken away. It's been replaced with suffering. And Jonah, in response, he turns from his rejoicing right back to his anger and his death wish. Now, certainly Jonah is hot. He is thirsty. He is faint. At the same time, this is not exactly Job-level suffering. Job had lost everything he had. His property, all his children, his family. Even his own body was racked with painful sores. 
But we then contrast Jonah's response to that of Job, who said, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But Jonah refuses to accept this hardship from the Lord's hand. Jonah responds in pride and self-righteousness. He assumes he deserved that shady plant, and the Lord has unjustly taken it away from him. It's also helpful to remember here, Jonah is the one who has chosen to sit outside of the city because he is foolishly waiting for God to rain down destruction upon it. If he would just recognize the, the folly of that hope, he could just go back into the city. He could find real shelter. He could find relief from the heat. But here you see Jonah's stubbornness, his entitled attitude in his response when God repeats again almost the same question a second time. Verse 9, God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. The first time the Lord asked him, Jonah didn't answer. He had no response. And now perhaps we see that was wiser than what he does here. Stubbornly persisting in his anger, seeking to justify himself before the Lord. And yet, is this not the nature of sinful human anger? When you are angry, your first reaction will almost always be to justify yourself. To say that you are righteously angry even when you most certainly are not. And here we see that Jonah's anger, it is burning out of control. The first time Jonah was angry because God was merciful to others. This time it's completely self-centered. He's angry because God has taken away the gift he mercifully gave to Jonah. And this is just another warning here of the great danger that anger poses, the great need to control anger and not to let it control you. Jonah should have paused when that question came up a second time. He should have slowly and carefully considered it before answering it. He certainly should not have fired back that self-justifying response. And yet, what do we see? The Lord continues to be gracious, to patiently counsel Jonah to reveal the greatness of his mercy. And that's the fourth point this morning, the greatness of God's mercy. Verse 10, And the Lord said, You pity the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Here the Lord is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. Jonah cares for the plant, which is such a small, insignificant thing. Jonah did nothing to bring it about. He did nothing to sustain it. It lived for only a day. How much more? Should the Lord have compassion on Nineveh, this great city full of eternal souls that he created, that he has cared for, that he has provided for over many years? God then adds that they do not have the advantages of the Jews like Jonah. They have not received the Mosaic law. Jonah is the first prophet that has ever been sent to them, and they repented at his word. They are like little children who do not even know their left hand from their right. 
Now, of course, this does not ultimately excuse them. God will, at the end, hold all people accountable to his natural moral law on the last day. But here he gives a reason why he is having compassion and withholding this particular temporal judgment. Then we might ask, why does God mention even the livestock? That always stands out here at the end. Because even the livestock, even one cow is of more value than this little plant that Jonah is so concerned about. Perhaps Jonah could have compassion on the city for the sake of the cattle. Jonah is so angry that he could die because he lost this plant. But he refuses to see the bigger picture right in front of him. This great city and all its inhabitants. The book ends with God effectively saying, why shouldn't I have compassion on this great city? And Jonah, why won't you join me in this? And then suddenly, all, the, all of a sudden, the book ends. It's a cliffhanger ending. It never tells you how Jonah responds. If he gives up his anger, if he repents, if he finally gets on the same page with the Lord. But the ending here, it's intentional because it then poses the question to you. How will you respond to this God who is gracious and merciful to all sorts of people? Will you join him in his love and compassion for others? Now, when you read this account, it's fairly easy to see that Jonah is so clearly in the wrong, that God is clearly in the right, that Jonah's anger is over the top. And so I think that there are probably not many here this morning who read this chapter and immediately identify with Jonah. Probably not many here who read this and say, that's me, I'm like Jonah. I hate it, and God is merciful to others. And yet there are many people in this world who struggle with anger and bitterness towards God, who struggle with the very same things that Jonah is giving into in this chapter. Perhaps that has been your struggle as well. It's the same thing that we see in Jesus' parable of the two sons. When the younger son returns and the father shows him such abundant mercy and grace, the older son explodes in anger, just like Jonah. Why does this happen? It's because the older brother has a works-based mindset, a merit-based mindset. He thinks, as long as I'm doing the right thing, obeying my father, doing it all right, he will be pleased with me, he will give me good things. But bad people, bad sons like this brother of mine, they don't deserve anything. And so when his father is gracious to his younger brother, the older brother, he explodes in anger, saying, how dare he? He wants the world to work in terms of strict justice. But think about that. If that were the case in this world, with our holy, holy, holy God, we would all be doomed to destruction. That's one of the core problems with the book. When bad things happen to good people, it's right there in the title. It assumes that anyone is a good person. When the Bible clearly teaches that all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. At the bottom, there are no good people. 
And therefore, no one deserves, no one merits God's mercy. We all deserve his wrath. And so any blessing that we receive every day that we draw breath, it, draw breath, it is an undeserved mercy from God. Ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, fell into sin, and they didn't immediately drop dead at God's hand, Each day that mankind has continued to live on this earth, it has been by the grace and mercy of God. It's so easy to grow angry at God when things don't go as we expect them to, as we want them to go, as we hoped that they would go. Not realizing that those expectations are already based not on what we deserve as sinners, but they are based on an assumption, a presumption, that God will continue to grant us many blessings and many undeserved mercies. It's so easy to presume on the grace of God. But then when God in his wisdom removes blessings, he takes away that shady plant. When he removes comforts for his own purposes, we have no reason for complaint, no reason for anger. He may be teaching us something just like he is teaching Jonah here. And we are to have the attitude of Jonah. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We are to realize that we are always dependent on the Lord's compassion, the Lord's mercy. And that is seen most of all in God's own Son, Jesus Christ. The Gospels often speak of his heart of compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 9, 36, that is all of us. And Jesus' compassion led him to teach them. It led him to heal many, to drive out demons, to feed the great crowds. But most of all, his compassion led him to the cross. That's where he stands most in contrast to this prophet Jonah. For as Jonah sat outside the city, he was hoping for, he was longing for the destruction of that city. Jesus, on the other hand, he stood outside Jerusalem, the city that would reject him. And he knew that that city would soon experience destruction. It would be destroyed for turning against and rejecting its long-awaited Messiah. And what did Jesus do in his compassion? He wept over Jerusalem. And then one week later, Jesus would be taken out of that same city, outside the city walls, where he would be crucified. And yet in his love, in his compassion, in his mercy, he gladly laid down his life on the cross. As he hung there, he bore the wrath, he bore the judgment of God, for the sins of his people. He bore the destruction that rained down upon him, the destruction that we deserve. And all this came down upon him so that I, so that you, so that I might be delivered from it. Jesus' cross teaches us that on one hand, we do live in a world of strict judgment. Justice. On one hand, God is a holy God, and every sin must 
be punished, each and every one. Either the sin will be punished in the sinner and you will be eternally condemned or it will be punished in the substitute, Jesus Christ, and he will bear that sin on the cross. So yes, there is strict justice, but praise be to God, there is also mercy. There is grace because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because he bears the sin of his people, because he takes the wrath of God in your place, there is mercy for all who trust in him. This mercy is God's free gift, which you simply receive by repenting of your sins, by trusting in Christ. And that's why Jesus said in Luke 15, in the midst of his parables, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's why when a sinner repents, when God shows mercy, there is rejoicing in heaven. And the greater the sinner, the greater God's mercy and greater should be our rejoicing as well. Jonah should have been rejoicing with the people of Nineveh at the mercy of God. Just as that older brother in Jesus' parable should have been rejoicing at his father's compassion on his younger brother. Are you rejoicing at the mercy that God has shown you? Are you so overflowing with joy that you want to tell others about the greatness of God's mercy? The greatness of God's mercy to you at the greatness of God's mercy to others around you. Following World War II, Several of the Nazi leaders were brought to trial for their great crimes against humanity in the Holocaust. They were brought to trial, you know it as the Nuremberg Trials. And while they were in prison during the trial, a chaplain, a Christian chaplain, was provided for them. And he preached the gospel to these men. He preached to them the depth of their sin, their need for a savior, the greatness of the work of Jesus Christ. And this man, chaplain, Henley Garrick, he was lively criticized. How could you minister to these evil men? This is like Jonah preaching in Nineveh. When it was later found out that almost half of the men repented of their sin were brought to the Lord's table or served communion. Many were outraged. But as the chaplain argued, the crimes that they had committed were great. In fact, he walked with every man, one of these men to the gallows as they were executed for their crimes. But their crimes were not too great for them to repent and to find mercy at the foot of of the cross of Jesus Christ. This morning we too come to the Lord's table, to this sacrament where you can taste and know that as surely as you partake of this bread and this wine, so surely has Christ given his life for yours, to bear your sins, to reconcile you to God, to this God of mercy and compassion and grace. So great is his love, so great is his mercy. And so, rejoice this morning in your Savior. Revel in his love. Delight in his mercy shown to you and to all who trust in him. Let's pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the greatness of your mercy. We know that we deserve wrath, we deserve judgment, but you have shown us grace, you have lavished upon us your love, you have poured out your mercy. We thank you for the compassion of your Son, Jesus Christ, our great Savior. Help us, Lord, to have the same compassion, to have the same love, to show mercy to others as you have shown it to us, and to rejoice in your great compassion, not only to us, but to others. For these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.